Welcome to Invest Stories. Whether you're a seasoned pro looking for that next step or a newbie investor not sure where to start, Invest Stories unlocks the mindset, strategies, and techniques of high performers across business, real estate, and investing to help you level up your journey to financial freedom. This is Invest Stories. Welcome to Invest Stories with me, your host, John Hooper. Uh, no Kyle this week and next. So I'm, uh, I'm sorry you're stuck with me. But hey, stick with me because some really uh, interesting interviews coming up. And uh, this week, we're talking to Heather Drivis. Heather Drew. Welcome to Investories with me, your host, John Hooper. Booyah, no Kyle. Kyle is traveling. Um, he'll be back in a couple of weeks. Hey, but stick around. Uh, we've got Heather Dreves here with us this uh, for this episode, and it's a really, really interesting episode. Why should you listen? We talk about money, uh, hard money, private money, and the difference. We talk about what people are looking for in the market, the current pain points, uh, trajectory of where we're going within the market, and um, the kind of strategies around using uh, private money as a way to invest your next uh, or your first real estate investment. Lots of uh, lots of great tactics on scale and growth and all that good stuff. Um, while I've got you here, if you're watching this on YouTube, hey, can you subscribe? Most of our listeners and watchers on YouTube are not subscribed. And if you subscribe, you really help the channel. Uh, you don't even have to have notifications, although we'd love for you to have notifications so that when we drop episodes, you can easily uh, know that that's happening. And if you're listening on any form of podcast platform, could you do us a huge favor and uh, give us a review, uh, five stars preferred? And we just will get the, the the ding and it will tell us, you know, hey, you're doing you're on the right track. You're doing good things. We've seen huge audience spikes in the last couple of months and we're so excited and uh that's going to help us bring bigger and bigger guests we've got some really exciting guests uh lined up for the next few months uh so yeah give us the give us the thumbs up give us the uh, social validation we all crave and if you have any guest suggestions or you want to speak to us ask ask us a question uh shoot us an email on investoriespodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us on instagram on uh investoriespod and uh, come say hi. Yeah, anyway, without further ado, here's Heather. Welcome to Investories, Heather Dreves. Hi, Heather. Hi, thanks for having me, John. N no problem. I'm glad we got it uh, lined up, uh, including internet out outages. So uh, <laughs> it's, been, it's been tricky. It's been tricky. Yeah. Heather is Director of Funding with uh, Secured Investment Corp. Um, they're a, a private lender, a real estate uh, investor kind of platform to um, to connect people with the opportunity to invest as well. Uh, and I guess the market and the world is changing and you guys are, are seeing that change at the, at the coalface, so to speak. Yeah, very much so. I think it's a moving target right now. <laughs> I think that, yeah, I like that. Moving target is definitely, yeah, I do. I've been doing a lot of analysis of... Um, of long-term multifamily and it's it's kind of you, you crib your numbers and you're like oh i should probably put x for insurance or for financing right. and it's like yeah there's there's a lot of question marks in in those calculations heather what what, should, what was your route into um into this world into the private money world uh you know i actually landed upon this world by chance i had a friend i mean i think we all have that one friend uh, that introduces us, a colleague, a friend, a family member. And I had 
uh, this individual um, exposed me to the private money world uh, about 19 years ago. And at that time, really had no background in it. You know, I assumed when you went to buy a piece of real estate, you went to your bank. And when you needed to invest your money, you went to your financial advisor. And so um, through working with him and this other company, um, my eyes were opened to the endless opportunities to be a passive investor as well as an active real estate investor and the opportunities to get funding provided if you had the right deal and the numbers made sense and the ability to start to create wealth uh, through alternative investments. And so um, over the 19 years, I've held a lot of titles um, and really started from the ground up, you know, started as a a uh, loan processor and assistant as well as an escrow assistant and worked my way into holding a securities license and working with clients that were passively investing in our alternative investments. Um, and, you know, fast forward 18, 19 years, I'm an active real estate investor. I've done fix and flips. I own rentals with my husband. Um, and really, you know, my my passion is to help people create wealth, whether that's through the active side of the real estate world or through the passive alternative investments. We, yeah, I, 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 I'm so passionate about that. I love that, the, the helping people. And it was, it took me a while to get it. It's like you go to a meetup yeah. and you talk to people and they're like, oh, I've got some great ideas for you. And you're like, why, why would you tell me all this stuff? I love <laughs> yeah, the shared yeah. sharing of the community. It's amazing. Well, I've heard an analogy. It's your net worth is your network. Uh, and it's really about who you know, you know, through this. And I think that's, you know, the same for a lot of industries. But I feel like the real estate world is really about who you know and the connections that you have mm -hmm. and how you utilize those. And, you know, just because it's not a deal that you might do, it doesn't mean that hooking, you know, a, a potential client up with somebody that could help them with their needs. Um, that stuff comes back around to you. So, yeah, um, I, it's not I zero like sum. Right. Right. I love that. I've, I always think of it like and I think I've said this on, on this podcast. It's like. You're in a bar and there's a curtain. The curtain comes back and someone's like, the the good stuff's in here. Come over here. <laughs> yeah. And they're really excited to share it with you. Oh, so um, and you mentioned um, both active and passive uh, investors. Mm -hmm. And what, I think one of the things I, I struggled to get a grip on was this notion of actually passive investment is a good way to become a active participant because you exposed to things like risk and, and learning about financing yeah. and doing due diligence and all that good stuff. I, I um, passively invest in the UK uh, through my retirement account. Mm -hmm. Is that what, what's your kind of take on that and, and t using that as a springboard into kind of the, the wider world of real estate investing? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, there's two different types of investors. There's your investors that maybe have some background and knowledge in real estate and probably currently own real estate and are looking for an additional stream of income, right? You know, they're maybe active real estate investors. Maybe they're doing the Burr fix and flip method or they're holding rentals. You know, now they're creating profit and wealth through these activities you know and they're not necessarily wanting to take those dollars and and put them back into another project but rather wanting to invest those types of dollars with real estate as still a back you know as an asset class but not be as hands-on and so i think what 
people don't always know is that there's there's opportunities to passively invest in real mm-hmm. estate through things, things like our real estate funds or syndications or buying first lien position notes. This is a way to passively invest in real estate, but you're not getting the call in the middle of the night from your tenant telling you that the toilet's plugged up and you're not dealing with a contractor taking off. And so I think there's probably some misconception with that. I think in the past, um, people always understood that you had to have a high net worth to invest in these kind of investments. You had to have big dollar amounts. That is not necessarily the case anymore. We are a prime example of that. We have a real estate fund that's you know similar to a syndication, but there's some differences. I won't get too far in the weeds with that, but it's actually open to anybody. So you don't have to be what they call an accredited investor, which means normally you would have to qualify with a million dollars in assets or really high annual income. Um, we actually have a fund that's open to everybody, to the general public, and people can invest as small as $1,000 into it. And you mentioned that you use your retirement account. This is really popular for people that have these, you know, small IRAs, or maybe they have a small 401k that they moved over to a self-directed custodian. And now they're trying to find a home, Mm -hmm. realizing most syndications have 50,000 to a hundred thousand dollar minimum buy-in and you have to qualify. So that's a nice option for that. And, and again, this is a way that you are passively investing in real estate funds. So real estate is backing it. It can be everything from multifamily to self-storage to residential, but you're hands off and you get to reap the benefits of a good operator like us that is deploying the capital. And now you're earning great returns on your money and you have no headaches of it, you know, and it's not affected by the stock market volatility and Mm -hmm. things like that and it's tangible assets um so i think there's this wave of people becoming more educated about this and realizing that there's options out there and they're taking their their financial wealth into their own hands now and they're saying hey it's not that i'm the one up here on my soapbox saying pull all your money out of the stock market but i am saying you should look and you should at least educate yourself on mm-hmm. how you can diversify into real estate and it doesn't mean you have to own the real estate yeah no i i and honestly nothing kick-started my retirement and invest passive investing education like taking my old 401k self-directed because yep. it's like well i'm accountable for this now i can't just throw it into a index fund and hope it goes up there's actually like oh, yeah. a process i need to figure out um you know the risks even is is a huge one like there's a, a million options to invest but if it's if it's retirement and you don't necessarily need it to grow uh, you know, 10x in one year, but you want that sustained and trustworthy growth, and that becomes really difficult um, to to navigate yeah. and and make sure you're making good financial decisions. So that, that's awesome. So, talk to me a little bit about that that fund. What what regulation is it? Um, that's regulated by the Securities and Exchange in the United States. Um, it's what's called a Regulation A fund. Okay. So a lot of these crowdfunding platforms out there, um, those are typically a Regulation A fund. We're pretty unique because we're one of only a few in the United States that's actually a real estate fund. So. Yeah. Our fund is what you would consider a debt fund, meaning we lend money out to other real estate investors and we also buy real estate. So it's a hybrid. It's an acquisition fund as well as a debt fund. 
Um, we like that diversification. We That's the model we run here. Um, all of our assets are focused around residential real estate. That's really our niche is single family up to a four unit and always non-owner occupied. So we're either lending the money to people that are buying or refinancing investment properties or we're buying investment properties to sell and make a quick profit for the fund. A um, couple things that make it pretty unique. One, like I said, you don't have to be accredited to go into it. It is a $1,000 buy-in, um, which is very low in the real estate fund world. Um, most are you know, $50,000 on up as a minimum. Um, and then we have a really short tie-up period. We actually have a 12-month tie-up period. Um, John, you mentioned you invest in syndications. Well, syndications are a three to five year tie up period. So um, some of our people that go into that fund are also accredited, but they like the shorter tie up period. Mm -hmm. So it's just an option for smaller dollars as well as a shorter tie up period to go into a fund that's backed by all residential real estate. That's Average so returns, seven to eight okay. percent, which wow. are still okay. really good rates of return. Mm -hmm. You know, it does fluctuate. It's dependent upon the profit of the fund. But those have been the historical returns over the past few years. That's so cool. And in terms of the lending side, so there's probably a lot of people listening to this that have mm -hmm. done a few deals, have gone through the traditional financing routes. And Painful. Are get, yeah, and are, <laughs> but are getting to that point where that doesn't necessarily work for the next deal. What is yeah. the what is the pro, what does the typical kind of loan look like if there is one, and what does the process look like working with you guys? Yeah. So, you know, I think in the past, there's been also a lot of misunderstanding about what private money versus hard money means. I mean, there's all this terminology out mm -hmm. there. And in my eyes, hard money is an asset based lender. They are lending solely based on that asset. You know, they they lend typically with the intention of taking that property back if that borrower doesn't perform on their loan. Right. They don't do a ton of due diligence on the borrower. I would tell you that we're probably more on the private lending side of things. We are asset based, you know, and that's the key to lending in this type of a private money industry is where where is your equity in that deal? Because the risk is you might have to take a property back as a lender. If a borrower doesn't make their payments and perform on their loan and they're not attempting to resolve the issue, you have to protect yourself. You have to protect your fund and be able and willing to step up and foreclose if you have to. And the way that you're successful at foreclosure is having a nice equity position in the deal, right? So for us, a typical deal, 70% of the value. If that house is worth 100,000, we're not gonna lend more than 70 grand. That's what I'm talking about, that equity play in the deal. Mm -hmm. We've got a, a $30,000 $30, margin of error, right? If we have to take it back and there's costs involved and all those types of things we want to be able to get out whole. Um, we only lend in a first lien position, so we're not going to do seconds or thirds or anything like that. Uh, we're going to lend for short-term purposes, so our average loan term is about 12 months. Uh, we will go up to 24 months, but nothing past that, but most of what we do is a 12-month loan. Um, we do require our borrowers to make monthly interest-only payments, so we want to make sure we're holding them accountable. And then when they pay the loan off, they're gonna pre or they're gonna pay any principal owed at that time. Um, we can lend uh, purchase money and rehab money, so that's pretty beneficial to mm -hmm. lenders. Uh, we do quite a bit of due diligence on the person that is borrowing the money. We want to make sure. 
you know, and I think this is another thing, hard money lenders in the past haven't really cared about borrowers, mm-hmm. right? They're like, yeah. I'm just going to lend money. I'm going to charge them a bunch of fees. I'm going to get paid up front. If they don't pay, I'm taking it back. You know, their opinion is I might make $30,000 on my investment, right? We want to make sure we're setting our borrowers up for success because we want them coming back to us over and over. We don't just want to do one deal with them and, you know, have them go on their way. Mm-hmm. So we do we do um, do or perform due diligence on the borrower. So we're going to pull credit. We don't have a minimum credit score, but we want to make sure that they're in good standing with their creditors. Are they making their payments on their other creditors? Mm-hmm. Um, do they have any recent bankruptcies or foreclosures? That doesn't totally disqualify them, but if they are currently in a bankruptcy or foreclosure, they cannot borrow from us. If they have blemishes, which in the real estate world is not uncommon with real estate investors, they need to be able to explain it. Hey, here was the situation. Here's what I've done to rectify the situation. And moving forward, this isn't going to be a problem. Um, We want to see their tax returns. We want to make sure that they're filing their taxes. That's a big concern is Mm -hmm. the IRS coming back and slapping a lien on the house. Um, And then they have to have three months of payment reserves. Uh, so that we have evidence that they can um, service the debt. And other than that, we lend to an entity. So they have to have an LLC or something of that nature in good standing. We're going to lend to their entity, and then they're going to personally guarantee the loan. Um, but other than that, we're pretty straightforward. You know, we do have, we do have guidelines that we follow. Um, but if the deal makes sense, and we believe that we're setting the borrower up, for success and they can perform on the loan and they can exit it, we're going to get the deal done. And if we find that the value's there, so we're going to get an evaluation of the property. You know, we want to know what the property's worth as it sits, as well as what it's worth after it's repaired. We'll do a, a loan based off of what they call an after repair value. Mm-hmm. What's that? What percentage is that typically for the ARV? Uh, as far as the loan to value, mm-hmm. uh, 65%. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're That's pretty generous. Um, we do hold back rehab funds. You know, if we're gonna if we're gonna base our loan on what that house is worth once it's rehabbed, and we're also gonna provide rehab funds, we actually hold back those rehab funds and then we disperse them in reimbursement draws. That way we make sure, you know, we limit the risk for us. <laughs> we make sure yeah. that the borrower is getting the property rehab because the last thing we want to do is give them a bunch of rehab funds and they take off and they don't rehab it. And then we're left with this house that is in disrepair. Right. (laughs) So (laughs) that keeps borrowers on track, you know, and and then that way too, they communicate with us a lot. So Mm -hmm. if they are having challenges, which it happens, like you've done rehab before, John, you know, no deal ever goes away. You think it's going to it. Typically there's additional costs And at least then, because they are having to come to us for draws, we know, hey, I'm having a problem with my contractor. Great. Why don't we see if we can help you? We might know somebody in that area. Mm -hmm. You know, it is our goal to get them out of these deals and have them make money. It's not our goal to just take these back. But, um, you know, we like that kind of a model because we service the paper ourselves also. So those borrowers are constantly talking with our servicing team. Hey, here's what's going on. Some of them have no hiccups and that's great. And they pay us off and they come and do another deal. Others that have challenges, we feel like we've been pretty instrumental in helping them get through those challenges and, and still finish the projects and make some money. That's a, I, I really like that difference because fundamentally, you know, hard and private money 
differences are you know there's kind of gray areas and if you if you kind of aggregated reading hard money lender websites and private money lender websites there's probably quite a lot of like like mesh between the two but that difference is just the culture is really interesting yeah i kind of cringe when people ask us if we're a hard money lender (laughs) glad (laughs) i did i I just and I, i may be off basis but that in my mind, that is an asset-based lender. They are they are after that asset, right? Like they don't pay, they're taking it back. They just don't even ask questions. Yeah. And we, you know, we have a lot of borrowers that do multiple deals with us. That's what we mm-hmm. want. We want a community of passive investors that want to invest in these deals, and we want a community of active clients that need to borrow money. And I can't tell you how many times. I'll call one of my passive people up and say, hey, John's back. He's got another deal. They're like, I'll take it. I don't even need to look at it. He paid me on the last three deals I did. I love that guy. You know, that's that's what we envision is this community where we're matching, you know, active people with our passive clients and everybody benefits from it. Very, very cool. Um, in terms of, and you, you mentioned rehab and, and, fix and fix and flip, I guess. And probably wider, actually, the the market at the moment is is interesting. How are you kind of pivoting or preparing for, you know, rate changes, price changes, yeah. everything? Yeah, I think that's a valid question. You know, one of the things that we've always focused around, and this didn't just happen when the market started changing, we've always done this, is we... We focus our investments, whether we're lending it or buying them, around the affordable housing market space. So in the United States, there's something called the FHA cap. It's the Mm -hmm. Federal Housing Authority's limits, and they're all different in different areas. But what it determines is if you get above that FHA cap as a resale value, most banks are only going to lend on that with what they call a jumbo home loan. And they're very hard to qualify for. They're typically your really high-end homes. Most people don't qualify for them. And so we focus our assets to stay under that FHA cap because as markets shift, you may buy an asset thinking you're going to fix and flip it. Then markets shift, rates go up, price, houses aren't selling, you know, values start to come down. Those kind of houses you can typically rent and at least cash flow and ride out markets. You also have a lot more people that qualify for uh, financing under that FHA cap. So that's one thing that we've always done to you know, mitigate risk in market shifts like we're seeing right now. Um, the other thing too is because we do lend nationwide all over the United States, we specifically look at markets on a weekly basis. Like if we, you know, I will tell you, for example, just last week, we changed some of our guidelines as far as our loan to value in certain counties because we were starting to see some distressed um uh, problems in those areas. So I think two things, one, having your guidelines sticking to them, but also being able to reassess your portfolio and your assets constantly. And I'm not talking once a month, like we meet on this weekly, if not multiple times a week. And when we start to see challenges, you know, things like, Hey, we have a bunch of borrowers in New Jersey and they're not able to sell these properties. Maybe we should start to limit our loan to values to 50%. So that if they have to drop their prices, we can still work with them, you know, things like that. And and being able as a fund management team to recognize those challenges and make quick pivots. And I think that's a benefit to private private real estate funds is we don't have a board of directors we answer to. Mm-hmm. I This is not a REIT. This is not, you know, 
uh, a board of trustees that we're having to go to to make changes. We collectively to get together as a fund management group and say, hey, we're seeing some challenges in this area. We need to make we need to pivot real quick and right now. And I think that's also a, a big benefit to investing in a real estate fund, whether it's a syndication or a fund like ours. I think there's big benefit to being privately managed. And I think having that um, ethical piece as well, or, or that ethical, maybe is not the right word, but the governance piece is mm-hmm. really interesting. So as you say about syndication, you know, I do, I do kind of hang out in that world and just the the people I'm connecting with are very um, governance driven. So they've they've kind of saw this as a potential of what's going on with the with the commercial rates at the mm-hmm. moment as being a, a challenge, and have secured yeah. longer term bridge debt or more um, predictable financing. Yeah. Is is there kind of a golden rule that you guys, or a few sets of rules that you guys follow that people should be following right now as the as the markets are shifting? Yeah, I mean, I think you need to have multiple exit strategies on these properties, whether they're multifamily, commercial, residential, you know, that's one of the things that we look at is, and we saw this last year, you know, our investment strategy at that time, 12, 24 months ago was fix and flip. It was easy, you know, values were going up, rates were low, houses were going for more than ask price. Um, As soon as rates started going up, property sales cooled off. You know, and because we were still in that affordable housing market space, we said, okay, great. How do we pivot? We still need to have cash flow coming into the fund to be able to pay out our fund members these earnings that they've come to expect. Um, So we started renting some of those types of properties because typically when rates go up and prices start to cool off, rents typically go up. You know, it's all in relation to one another. Um, and so I think, you know, the best advice I could give someone is have multiple exit strategies. Don't be so siloed to say, this is our strategy. This is the only thing we do. This is the only way I'm going to make money is fixing and flipping that because the second your strategy doesn't work, you better have a backup plan. Um, and I think that's key to it is have multiple ways you can keep that property cash flowing, you know, if you have to write out market shifts and we've seen it, you know, houses aren't selling as quickly as they were. Mm-hmm. Um, we invest locally as far as the assets we actually buy and we're kind of spoiled. We're in a a pretty good market. We haven't seen prices start to decline. They've cooled off. They're definitely not increasing. Um, but you know, houses that people qualified for, you know, 12 months ago at the rates then are not the houses they're qualifying for now, you know? And so you also need to look at that when you're buying these, right? Like, None of us have a crystal ball, but all this comes into play. When rates go up, they're not going to sell for as much and they're harder to sell. And so when you're making these offers, I think you need to really consider what you're purchasing these properties for and, and, and again, what your exit strategy is on them. I think, yeah, that's so interesting because there's obviously the, the rule and, and you know, the, the biggest thing I bought was my primary residence. Mm-hmm. And there's always that affordability piece. Yeah. And it should it should really kick in for a rental as well, right? Which is mm-hmm. if rents go to this and if rates go to this, what's the where's the kind of pain point? How how far can I push it? Those those kind of metrics. That's that's super interesting. Yeah, and we've got calculators for both that we use that calculate our returns, you know, and so we look at those and then you know, if you can get some kind of a calculator like that, then you also know what your highest and best offer is too. Mm-hmm. And you still have to stick to your model. 
yeah take the emotion out of it especially for I a know. Uh, yeah I'm, I'm quite pragmatic even for my primary residence which drives my <laughs> wife up the wall she's like how are you so calm about these things it's like it's, it's just a house either the numbers are there or they're not you know <laughs> yeah. and, and we get a lot of clients that are like but i really like this house it's like the numbers don't make sense you're you're paying way too much for that you're never going to sell it for what you think you are and you're putting way too much money into it like take the emotion out of it. It's, it is a business transaction and either the numbers work or they don't. And you move on to the next deal. There's plenty of deals. What do you think the time frame is for the impact of those, those kind of miscalculations? So I, and I say that, you know, I live in San Diego, so yeah. super, super hot fix and flip um, yeah. place. And we're seeing more and more kind of price reduction on very highly priced, mm-hmm. perfect, you know, HGTV style um, homes. Yeah. Is is that just the start of it? Or do you think we're midway through it? Do you think there's more pain to come? I think it I think it depends on the market. Yeah. I really do. I think it depends on the market. And that's you know, that goes to the point that I, I mentioned that we 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 stick with the affordable housing because typically the first market that gets hit is exactly what you're talking mm-hmm. about. Your high end homes, you know, that were probably a little overpriced to begin with, those are affected first. You know, um, I personally think right now you're starting to see some great first time home buyer programs, you know, they're and that's going to get even better. You know, they're going to have to stimulate this market eventually. Um, what you're finding, though, is people that had houses that they financed at two and three percent are not moving. Those no, people that's us. normally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Normally, every two or three years would upgrade. Right. Like, oh, I've got some equity. I'm going to get something a little nicer. That's not happening right now. So they're not moving and selling. You know, um, there are still people, the younger generation that are buying, you know, if they can afford it, which is difficult to get approved for right now. What you were approved for 12 months ago, you're probably approved for at least $100,000 less, if not less, because of the payment, you know. Um, when you're looking at rates at six and seven, I think our son just locked in at seven on a new build. I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) you know, but rates, that was silly money. We're not going to go back to 2% money, right? I think rates are going to, we think rates are cooling off. You know, they're probably going to increase at some point again next year, but I don't think much is going to happen for the next quarter or two. Um, But I don't think they're going to go back to 2%. You know, they can't. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if we could get them back to four or five, maybe. Um, But people are going to eventually come to terms with it, right? Like, okay, I'm not going to get a 2% money or maybe they hold those properties as rentals and then buy something else. I don't know. Um, But to your question, I think it really just depends on the market. It really does. I mean, like I said, where we are, we're still, well, we get a lot of influx from California. There's tons of people moving here from California. The challenge is the locals are selling, making great money because we love the Californians to come here and pay top dollar for our properties. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but now they can't afford to buy. And so now what that has created is opportunity for rentals, right? Because now these people have sold, they can't afford to buy another house. Now they're going to go rent. So mm-hmm. there is a lot of opportunity for single family rentals as well as multifamily right now in our market. No, that's really interesting. Um, in terms of now and thinking back to 07, 08, is there, can you speak to that at all? Is there like fundamental differences or is it very similar? Well, yeah, I think the biggest difference is people have equity in their homes right now. 
that that's the biggest difference mm-hmm. you know 0708 they were lending 120% of the value you know yeah. they were they were I was explaining this on, at the weekend yeah yeah it was crazy i remember when it happened we had just built a brand new house and within 2 months people were being foreclosed on in our neighborhood and they were selling these houses for 200 grand less than these people had just built these houses for it was crazy i mm-hmm. i was just like oh my god what is happening you know and so i think that to that point, you know, people right now still have equity. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen values decline that much. Um, they're not increasing like they were, but they haven't declined like that. And I think lenders got wise and they weren't lending 120% of the value. Yeah. A friend of mine had some, I think he had some debts and was buying a car and got 120% for his property Isn't that to, crazy? to clear everything. It's like, wow. How did it, yeah. what happened? How did it go wrong back in the- yeah. 0708 that's why yeah. i guess i don't think we'll have another 0708 but i think the market is shifting and it always does right mm-hmm. it's real estate you know and so you, again you just can't you have to be able to pivot you have to have multiple exit strategies and right now be in a good cash position because i think there's a lot of opportunity to buy some great properties coming up people are going to start to sell we're starting to see foreclosures open back up again you know not only do we have the 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 rate environment that we're in but we're also coming off the coattails of covid mm-hmm. when two things happened you couldn't foreclose on anybody and you couldn't evict anybody so that is all ending and we're starting to see properties come to the foreclosure auction again you know that are finally getting caught up from covid um and we're seeing some opportunity with mom and pop landlords that are tired of dealing with tenants that they couldn't mm-hmm. evict and aren't paying. And so there's some opportunity in that space as well. How do you guys typically find those opportunities? It's all off market. You know, it's out of state homeowners, distressed sellers. Um, we find some properties from families, you know, somebody passed away Aunt Sally passed away, didn't have any kids, left them to her nieces, and none of them live in town and don't want anything to do with the property. So (laughs) mainly a lot of off-market deals. We used to go to foreclosure auction uh, every week, and and we got some great deals there over the years. Um, That has changed a lot. Um, We don't get as many great deals there. I mean, we know what's going to auction, but a lot of times the deals we're interested in will actually buy before they ever get to foreclosure auction. So is that, do you typically do outreach, like targeted mailing or phone? Yeah. Or? Phone, mailing, we have a whole acquisition team. We spend quite a few dollars marketing on a monthly basis to those types of um, property owners. And then we have, we actually use virtual assistants that mm-hmm. do direct dialing. So a little bit of everything. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, that's always interesting. I, I, I'm working on my first team of VAs and it, it's oh. daunting very daunting. It's a lot of management up front. They are great. I mean, at least the VAs we've worked with are out of the Philippines. And um, once you train them, they'll, they're the hardest workers, mm-hmm. right? But you have to be very specific. Yeah. We're talking call scripts and they, they thrive well too, when they're really involved with you. Like we have them on our weekly meetings. I mean, they're part of absolutely. Yeah. I like our that. extended company, even though they're not 
you know, they're contracted employees, um, but they they do very well for us. But it does. I get what you're saying. It, it does requirements some work on your end. I'm I'm good with the culture. I think it's a control thing. It's like, no, I need to do it. And they probably do most of the stuff way better than me. One of they the ones do. is social media and I'm useless at social media. So I don't like <laughs> what am I holding on to? It's ridiculous. Yeah. How can uh, Heather, how can people work with you? Yeah, I mean, whether they are, whether you're an active investor or someone looking for just a passive investment, um, you can always visit our website at securedinvestmentcorp.com. And we've got a lot of information about our passive investments on there. You can actually book an appointment to talk with me and my team. Um, But again, just visit our website, securedinvestmentcorp.com, and we'd love to connect with you. That's awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes so that people can just click a link and easily get to you guys. Perfect. <laughs> Heather, I really appreciate your time today. It's such a such a cool yeah, conversation. Great. And um, I'm really in, interested in how the markets shift in the next few months um, as someone yeah, who wants to we'll acquire. Stay in contact. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll get you on in another six months and see see how bad or yeah, how, actually how good it got. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Heather, thank you so much. Thanks for having me as well. And we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Invest Stories. If you like what you've heard, please consider sharing and writing a five-star review.
Thank you for listening to Invest Stories. If you like what you've heard, please consider sharing and writing a five-star review.